Coaching, I would argue, is the least about the workouts. In fact, if you're a coach, you should have phenomenal workouts. You should have a progression that takes a child, an adult, anyone in four years, of course they're gonna get better. You just have to write it out properly. It's written in every book. You can pick up any book. Anyone can be a give workout person. What isn't easy, unless it is, is knowing how to connect with a person to get the most out of them so that they feel good about themselves. You have to be very careful about how you connect with people. We as coaches have power for sure. The people we are coaching can be vulnerable, so you have to make sure you're not taking advantage of that or, or crossing the line. That's your job, it's not the athlete's job. As close as the athlete comes to you, you have to know where it needs to stop, where the line is, and a mature coach knows, knows how to do that. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and I'm taking a bit of a break from recording new episodes the rest of this month, and we'll be rerunning a couple of my favorites from years past. We'll be back with episode four of Common Ground with me and Danae Doremi the last week of May, and a fresh conversation with a new guest the first week of June. For this rerun episode, we're kicking it back to episode 100 with Laura Schmidt, which was recorded in February of 2020, right before the world shut down, and it's one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had for the podcast. Laura was the longtime cross-country and track coach at Redwood High School in Larkspur, California, where she was at the helm for 35 years and led some of the best teams and athletes in the state. She's also a wife, a mom, and now a grandmother since we had this conversation over two years ago, not to mention an entrepreneur who founded a play-based preschool that's still going strong today, as well as the first treadmill studio on the West Coast. In short, she's an incredible woman and someone I have an immense amount of respect and admiration for. In this conversation, we talked about running, community, coaching, family, parenting, and entrepreneurship, all things Laura knows a lot about and has had a ton of success in over the years. Before we dive in, a big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're looking for a workhorse to run most of your miles in, look no further than the Fresh Foam X 1080 V12. Oh man, am I stoked for this shoe. Longtime listeners will know that the 1080 has been my go-to training shoe for the past few years, and the V12 will no doubt be the shoe that I put most of my miles in for the rest of this year. The 1080 V12 has the perfect blend of cushioning and responsiveness, it's lightweight, it transitions smoothly, it has the most streamlined fit to accommodate a wide variety of foot types, and it holds up to heavy mileage week in and week out. The Fresh Foam X 1080 V12 is available in both men's and women's sizes on newbalance.com or at your local run specialty retail store. Check them out and give them a try today. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to support it, the best and easiest way is to tell your friends about it or share your favorite episode or episodes on social media. If you're a super fan and want to take your support a step further, 
Check out our Patreon community, where for as little as a buck a week, you can interact with me directly and also gain access to some exclusive content like the Weekly Rundown, which is another podcast that I co-host with my friend and colleague, Billy Yang, a monthly Coach's Corner discussion, and other fun perks that pop up from time to time. You can check that out at themorningshakeout.com slash support. Okay, that's it for the introduction. Please enjoy this rerun of episode 100 with the amazing Laura Schmidt. I'm so excited to sit down with you. Laura Schmidt, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you. I am incredibly honored to be um, talking with you. There's so many things that I want to talk about with you. I, I was like, where, where do I start? We can talk running, we can talk coaching, we can talk parenting, we can talk business. Let's start with coaching. You were at Redwood High School for the last 35 years, uh, which is right down the street from where we're sitting now. Your kids ran for you. You've had some amazing athletes and teams over the years. You stepped away last year after 35 years. Here we are, spring track's going to get started soon, cross-country season is a few months behind us now. How hard was it for you not being at practice every day and at the races last fall? That's a great first question. Um, Redwood, I consider my family, without a doubt. Um, I went to Redwood, my kids went to Redwood, as you had stated, and um my continued kids, the kids I coach went to Redwood. It was very challenging to step away. However, I was stepping to something very exciting, opening um, another studio, uh, another treadmill studio. And one thing I know for sure is while transition is challenging, if it's worth it, it's worth it. And you fill your time with things that are special and you stay connected to things that are special. So, um, I'm very connected to the kids at Redwood. I'm very connected to all the kids who are running collegiately now. And of course, I'm connected to the um, alumni. So I haven't left. I'm just not there every single day. And also, I've changed my route driving home from Thoroughbred. I now drive past Redwood every day. You can tell the coaches, and they all know that, and they think it's really funny. (laughs) But I do. I drive by Redwood every day. Did you go to any of the meets last fall? Yes. Um, Well, so I broke my metatarsal um, in the fall. So I was on um, in a boot and on crutches. I remember talking to you about may that. may have been perfect timing. Yeah. Um, so I did not coach them directly, obviously. Um, but I went to MCALS and I was just incredibly thrilled to see them. I didn't feel uncomfortable not coaching them. I didn't feel... It was an appropriate... I'm okay with my decision. I feel good about my decision. Um, Jake and I have also... Uh, filled that gap. We had intended on doing this, but you can't do it at the same time. We now have a thoroughbred racing team. And it's so similar to the high school group. It's mind-blowing. So that need of mine is being filled. Was it a bit of an adjustment, though, not planning out a season, not being at practice, not following up with the kids like after the weekend, like that sort of procedural part of it? Yes, for sure, for sure. In fact, um, I watch all the races. They uh, would text me the results. So fortunately, I got that. But we've taken that to the adult group, and we've decided to coach our adults like we coach our high school team, which is incredibly rewarding. So we've written up a season. Mm-hmm. We um, we 
do exactly what we do with our high schoolers. We meet them, we meet them on the track, and we are a team. And we're expected, if they're expected to be at the track at 6.30 a.m., I start my practice at 6.30 a.m. If someone's driving up late, they're missing the warm-up. And there's no, and they know it, and they're hustling. And it's it's a team, so I, I get that fulfillment. Tell me a little bit more about the Thoroughbred Racing Team. I'm obviously familiar with Thoroughbred Treadmill Studios. Yeah. I've been there for a couple classes. I didn't realize that you started a racing team. When did that kick off? We so Jake and I have been talking about the reason, um, maybe backtracking a little bit, but mm-hmm. partly why we opened Thoroughbred significantly. Why we opened Thoroughbred was to bring our joy and our love of running and our knowledge of running to a bigger population. So as I, as you said, I've been coaching at Redwood for quite a while. Well, that's only 100 kids per season. We wanted to put the net out there and get more people doing what we love doing. So while we did that, I was still coaching. And part of it was that I got to keep doing my team coaching and Jake was coaching with me. But then as it, as it evolved, we wanted to open another studio, which means pull back on the high school coaching. But I wanted, as did Jake, a community around Thoroughbred. Thorough, hence the name. Um, so 48 weeks ago, because we write weekly workouts, we started our team. And we plan a season and these are the races we're going to. We send weekly workouts to each member of the team. The weekly workouts are exactly what you're going to do on the day. So there's no confusion. Every athlete has a different workout. One, they're adults. Two, they're different levels. Much like our high school team, we mm-hmm. had the national champion and we had the person who came in last place at MCALS. I thrive on that. I love the diverse population to coach. Because I know that we all gain the same gifts from it. We all, tempo pace for one person is the same physiological response. If I'm running a tempo pace, it's the same as your tempo pace. It's the same as Jake's tempo pace. It's the same as everyone's. You mean the effort's the same. Correct. And the physiological response and the emotional response Mm -hmm. and the excitement. Running a race, whether I run a a 60-minute half marathon or a two-hour I worked with a woman this morning, two hour and five minute half marathon, who she wants to drop down to 202. It's thrilling. And and you can coach to that person, whoever that person is. It's the same, it's the same coaching. Yeah, I think that's an important message to get across. And I had met Gaflesky on this show early on, one of the first 10 episodes, it might have been episode 10. And he said it was a very like simple but incredibly profound statement. He said the only difference are the numbers on the clock at the Correct. end of the race. Everything else, he's like, we were on the same start line, we had the same yes. weather, we ran the same distance, I felt the same things as you did. Stakes are obviously a little bit different for a professional versus someone at the back of the pack, but 98% of it is similarities. There's maybe like 2% difference, and it's usually in the end result. And and that is that is so important to realize. And when, you're, when, when we started Thoroughbred, we wanted the person who thinks everyone's a runner, everyone's a runner. People will come in and not think or know that they're a runner and they'll say, they'll qualify it. Hi, I'm X. I'm not a runner. Well, that's not true. And we live in the Bay Area where you're either an expert at what you do, that's the norm, or you don't do it. So what we wanted to do, and we're, we're, we're finding that it's working, we wanted the person that comes in off the street, we wanted to give them the respect for their efforts the knowledge that we give our elites and the care 
and build a community and everyone gets better and no one gets injured because it's consistent and it's appropriate coaching. I love that approach. And it reminds me of when I worked in specialty running. We'd have people come in the shop all the time and specialty running shops, they get this stigma from a lot of people who haven't been in there that you have to be an elite or an advanced runner to go in when the, when the reality is 95% of the people who walk through the doors are beginners or purely recreational. And you'd have someone come in and they'll say, I'm not really a runner. I only run 5K. So in their mind, they've constructed this idea that, well, since I don't run marathons or even half marathons, right. I'm not really a runner. And you have the person who, you know, might run three miles five days a week. And I go, I'm not really a runner. I only right. run like three miles five days days a week. And I, I think just like breaking down those walls and letting people know, it's like, no, you put shoes on and you put the effort to get out the door every day. And if you do want to race, you're willing to push yourself to achieve that goal. Then yes, you are a runner and you share a lot in common with the guy who's running, you know, 30 minutes for 10K and the two and a half hour marathon or, you know, regardless of what level it is that you're at. Right. And all the training and all the preparation can be and should be respectfully the same because you're putting the same amount of time, effort in. Um, the first time we told our athletes, I think it was an 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. race, and we said, okay, well, you wake up at 4 a.m., you jog around your house, you do a little shakeout. These are the adults. Um, I got emails back after the talk saying, I'm a little confused. I'm like, no, that's what we do. And we did that with Redwood. We would be up at state meet if we had an 8 a.m. race. We were up, Jake and I were up in the 4 o'clock in the morning, and we'd say we're meeting at 4 a.m. in the lobby, and the kids were there, tall, focused, ready to roll because it was a business trip. And now our grown-up athletes who have been accustomed to arriving at a race right before it starts, which makes no sense to me because I grew up differently, um, they have a brand-new perspective and a brand-new respect for what they're doing. And they are runners and now they're owning that and loving that. So well, and it's what you're also doing is cultivating that lifestyle. For them, yeah. running might have been something that they did before amongst a million other things. And when they join yeah. a team like Thoroughbred or like you had them at Redwood High, like you're part of a team environment. There's a culture that's created and there's a lifestyle that you adopt and there becomes a way that you end up doing things. And I think that when that switch flips in, in someone's head that they're like, oh, I, I am like an athlete. No, this is not my job. And no, I'm not trying to make an Olympic team, but this is really important to me. And I'm going to do A, B, and C to help myself get there. Yeah, I like that. And, and you know, it's interesting when you think about the professional runner, professional runner, that means you get paid to run by definition. There are very few people who can make a living off of being a professional runner. Very, very few. So, right. And I know a lot that try and I, I respect that so much. But my goal as a coach at, at the high school level, at the elite level, at thoroughbred is the love of running. It's so simple, just the love of running. I love running. I love coaching. So fortunately for the people who receive the coaching, they're going to get not just the love of running, but they're going to get the coaching. But if you have the love of running, and I can use Jake as an example, he grew up actually in my home. And he grew up with the love of running before winning state championships, whatever. That wasn't his goal. That wasn't his focus. His focus was the love of running. And I don't say that lightly. So when he has a terrible race, it doesn't matter. It does matter, of course, in the short term. But what he comes out is he wants to run on Monday again, or he wants to do a long run on Sunday because he loves the sport. And that's what I want people to get. 
It's funny that you mentioned that and in the context of professional runners, because what I yeah. love seeing now is folks who get to the t- professional runners who get to the tail end of their competitive careers where they're just not fast enough to, you know, make the Olympic team anymore or set personal bests or win right. major races, staying with it um, because they have that love of running. They've adopted the lifestyle. Dina Castor is a great example. Um, Meb Kofleski is another great example because I've, I've, fortunate to know. Joni Benoit. Joni Benoit you say is you're the not, ultimate example. Well, here's the deal. You say, yeah. okay, totally interrupting. Sorry. When you say, it's funny, you're not getting fast enough. You're not going to, you are. Yeah. She's pioneering our sport. I feel like I'm, I'm 56 years old. I feel like I, when I go out and do my tempo work, I'm running at tempo pace. I'm yeah. running as hard as I can because I want to race. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that I'm not running what I ran. Who cares what I ran? It, we're pioneers. It's phenomenal. Yeah, and I love that because I, what I was saying is I know a lot of professional runners who, for them, it is a job. Yeah. And they, at some point, along the way, lost the love for whatever reason, yeah. but they thought it was the only thing they were good at, and this is how I make a living. And and I've seen, unfortunately, some of those folks, they end their career, and that's it. They never run another step. They have no involvement with the sport, and they almost fail to take all of those lessons that they learned as an athlete with them to whatever else there was. So I love that you're cultivating that as a coach, that you did that for as long as you did at Redwood High School, and now you're doing it with adults. And I mean, that's what I do with a lot of the age group athletes that, that I work with. It's like, okay, yeah, you have a competitive goal that you're going after, but if you don't love what you're doing, there's better ways to spend your time. <laughs> you might as well go. You might as well go do that. So I think just having that as your foundation. Yeah, you're going to have hard days. You're going to have bad races. Right. That's part of the. That's part of the process. But it's not an end all. Correct. And you know it's interesting. So when the kids used to come out at Redwood, if I would pick up on a vibe. So we practice six days a week. On the seventh day, they would run on their own together, mm-hmm. and I'd be up there with my population. And I would see him, whatever. Um, but I don't run with them that one day. If they miss those days, they're no, I don't take role. I don't just, you're in the wrong place. Put this book down, find another book. It's mind blowing that you don't love it, mm-hmm. but there's got to be something else that you love. Go find it. And I had one little boy who uh, I sat him down and said, you know, this, this doesn't feel right. And we started talking. He said, well, I'm into drama. Anyway, he wound up going into drama and he was in all the school plays. So it's a, find what you love. It should be running though. But <laughs> Let's go back to your beginnings as a coach. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the fact that you were at Redwood High for 35 years. Mm-hmm. How did you get started in that position? Oh, that's a great question. So my senior year at Cal, well, interesting, my freshman year at Cal, Tony, used, Tony Sandoval, who was my collegiate coach, um, used to give us two weeks typed up our workouts. And I have a background to swimming. I swam in, at Redwood. I was a swimmer. I didn't know that. Okay. And I transitioned to running my junior year. So um, I was new at running, but I, was, I loved it. I loved it so much. The second I got out of the pool and went to running, it was just an instant this is what I should be doing. Let's put a pin in that. I'm going to come back to that in a bit. Okay. But let's continue along this line about how you got into coaching. So so Tony, so freshman year, I was very interested in the coaching aspect, freshman year in college, of of the sport of running. So I would just take his workouts and keep them. And I kept them for four years, every two-week increment. And I made some little adjustments and little things that I thought would just out of pure interest. Then my... Just tinkering. Tinkering is exactly right. Then my 
Uh, I think it was my senior year in college. They did an article on me and it was on what I want to do. And I was like, I want to move back to Marin. I want to have, I believe I said four kids, uh, marry my husband, Tom, and I want to coach at Redwood. Then I got a call from the head coach, Ray Jakes and Doug Basham called me and said, we'd like you to come back and be the head coach at Redwood. And I did. I went from my senior year, 1986, straight to Redwood and I was getting, my, I was in graduate, getting my teaching credential, and I started as the head cross country coach. And yesterday, I got a DM from my first boy, and I'm 56, so he's probably like 50 something, um, asking for a physical therapist because his calves are bothering him and his Achilles are bothering him. That's pretty. That's pretty <laughs> wild because you were you were what like 20, 21 years old yes. at the time. So yeah, you're like what two, three years older than like yes. the oldest. The kids entire boys team on which the team. Is- Hilarious. So were you coaching boys and girls yes. right away? Yes. What was that first year like for you? Well, for the girl, it was interesting. I I think I thought I knew more than I did, which is actually a protection because had I known now what I knew then, I probably wouldn't have taken a head coaching job. So I was fortunate in my naivete. Um, but I loved the sport. I loved running. I took Tony's workouts. I also co- called him and we laugh about this now, I called him and asked him to give me all sprinting information because I knew nothing about sprinting, obviously. I knew nothing about shot and disc, all the events that I You knew distance. I knew distance. Let's face it, I knew distance. So I got people to help me with the event, with the, um, uh, the throws, the hurdles, all the other events. And I'll say this, and nothing, this has not changed about me. I didn't hire experts, hire. I didn't ask experts to help me. I asked kind people to help me, people that I knew related to children. To me, that was more important because I knew together we could figure, figure it, it out. out. Yeah. And I, I still hire that way now. I hire that way in my school. Um, if you're kind to people, the other things will work out in, in any environment. Um, so back to the coaching um, I remember saying to the girls team, uh, oh, I used to race some bunnies. So the high school's in, but I was like, okay, we're going to buy everybody bunnies and we're going to be really good. Then it was like, if you could see you're running along and then screeching along the ground <laughs> with your heels in the ground, they were so much slower than I was expecting them to be. They were little girls. Yeah. They were like little girls who parents said, hey, go off for the sport. Um, so it was a learning curve, but the boys... The boys' distance, they were great. And I remember running with them in the mornings before school because we did doubles in college. I didn't know high school. I mean, I thought everyone ran doubles. Um, and the boys would wake up in the morning and we'd meet them at 5.30 in the they morning. They would just do it. They, yeah. <laughs> I've evolved along the way. <laughs> so, Was yeah. it hard at that point, I mean, you're 20, 21 years old, to get the trust and respect of kids who are, you know, three to five years younger than you? No. And here's what I think. I, okay. So I was 22. I'm a January. So I think I was 22. Then I was pregnant with Jake. So I think they probably thought I was 40 because I was about to have a baby. Baby, So so I think they thought I was a lot older. And also back then I had just gotten out of college running. So they probably thought I was better than I was or had more knowledge than I had. Uh, They were just great human beings. So, and there was less parent involvement. Um, and there was less, you didn't have to be like right now, you're not going to be a coach except that you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. 
um, back then, I wasn't going to steer them wrong because we're just going to go on runs and do tempo work and interval work. You know, how bad can it be? But now you need to have everything in line. And and actually, Tony gave me a lot of great information. Um, I was journaling. I was doing uh, visualizations with the kids. No mm-hmm. other. Who else was doing that? I mean, it was fresh off the fresh out, you know, it was 1986. So. Well, and that may have been to your advantage because speaking about my own high school experience, I don't want to talk bad about my, my high yeah, school coach, yeah. but I think in a lot of places, this is the norm. My high school coach was the janitor at the school. It was like an extra gig for him. And he was a recreational runner, yeah. but it was just something that he did every day from 2.30 to 4 p.m. Yeah. or 4.30, whatever it was. And we did the workout and that was it. There was no journaling. There was no visualization. Oh. Like There was none of that. I mean, it was just like, and I feel like that's, that's the norm in, in a lot of yeah. places. Like they're, they're not really coaching the kids. It's just like, it's a little part-time job for them. Whereas yeah. for you coming in fresh at, you know, 22 years old, you're part of a D1 college program. You had a great coach in Tony, you know, who did all of these things for you. So yeah. it's fresh. Yeah. And you're like, well, this is, this is just how you do it. Like yeah. back to that whole like lifestyle thing, the culture, this is, this is like how you do it. And, and I think like introducing that to high school kids is, you know, is huge because then they take it seriously. They see that this is something something that they can do, you know, beyond just their their school years and maybe they're more likely to stay with it for a while and they take it more seriously when they're there. I mean, my I I'd love to learn from you like I mean, I know where Redwood was when you left it last year. I'd love to understand like where it was when you started in terms of like the numbers and success of the program at the time cuz my high school like I mean, we didn't even have enough kids to field a cross-country team. We had six kids on the whole team. Oh, wow. Um, so it wasn't taken, you know, very seriously, yeah. but that was just the norm given the situation. Yeah, well, we, um, my coaches at Redwood were just really wonderful human beings, just off the charts. And honestly, I feel like that's the most important thing. They um, uh, wanted to go running with us. I feel like I, with Ray Jakes, who was my first coach, I remember I would come to practice and that's kind of where I got interested in coaching Mm -hmm. because I'd say, hey, maybe we should run a little harder or maybe we should, I was interested in coaching. I just, when I was a little girl, I used to write workouts. My sister was four years older than I. I would write workouts for her on a note card and and show her how to do it. I wanted like to coach. Swimming workouts or just general um, fitness workouts? Fitness, okay. body fitness. Okay. Yeah. And I would do little in the backyard. I would draw out little mazes in snow and time her. I can't believe she did it. I would time her and have her run through the snow. I love it. Um, I always wanted to be a coach. And I know I will be a coach uh, for the rest of. A coaching is what I want to do. That's yeah. it. I um, didn't want to go to the collegiate level. I thought about it a couple of times very seriously. Um, but I feel like it's such a different bird. And they're already established. Being able to establish a high schooler and much like the uh, thoroughbred, the people who didn't necessarily run, but they're so brand new at it. I love bringing someone through the journey of finding the gold of running. It To me, it's thrilling. I, I, I love it so much. I love seeing somebody on a track that is brand new to it or brand new plus a year and evolving and their eyes light up or they say they're anxious to go to the track. What a great opportunity to feel anxiety going to a track. That's an incredible gift. So, 
But I imagine too, like you're getting some of these kids at like 14 years old yep. when they're when they're freshmen and they're in that position that you just described, and then you have them for four years. I'm sure you see a lot of growth and progress during mm-hmm. that time, and then some of them go on to college, whether they run for a team or not. They all do. Or, they all do. But they yeah. stick with it, and some of them, like this guy who sent you a DM the other day, it's like, <laughs> I mean, that was 35 years ago, right? So it's like, so it's like he's still, you know, he's stuck with it then, and be able to look back over that and just be like, wow, like, yeah. What like look at this? Like I had, I remember when you know they had anxiety about stepping on the track, and here they are, thirty five years later. Maybe they had a break or two in between, but they're still with it. Yeah, it's incredible going up to Mount Tam. It's incredible seeing old people, <laughs> which are young, who are younger than I, running, and and that's my goal. That's my that's really my goal. Get people on Mount Tam or wherever they are. Honestly, we keep going over it, but that, that is my goal. When you started coaching at Redwood, you mentioned how you had Jake, you were pregnant with Jake not long after that. What else were you doing professionally at the time? Because we know that just coaching high school track cross country isn't going to pay the bills. Well, that's funny. Okay, so um, I was actually getting my teaching credential okay. because I planned on teaching. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, went to coach. I was in school. So I would go to school, come home, go coach. And even when I had Jake, I had him over Easter and I was back finishing my credential that Easter break. I was back at school five days later. It was a different time. Um, And he was my first kid and I was super young. So it was like, whatever, I just brought him to class. Um, Times are totally different. I understand that now. Um, It sounds like I, you know, whatever. Um, Anyway, so... I was also, that was what I was doing financially. Nothing. I didn't need to make money. We lived in, it was my husband, Tom, um, and I, and we were so young. He was working full time. We lived in an apartment on Kent Avenue, which is in Kenfield. Um, I think Jake told me it was actually close to my next old Next to your place. building. Yeah, right yes, next door. Yes, 145 he, Kent Avenue. Yeah. Our kids thought we lived in the whole thing, which yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> when we bought our first house, um, that's when I started the school, which was a couple, a couple of years later when I was, when I had Megan, that's when, because I was like, okay, Jake needs to go to preschool. I toured all the preschools and I was like, mm, this isn't exactly what I had in mind. So I decided to start my own. And then I went back and got the units to open a school. So I'd love to come back to that. Yeah. A few more things on yeah. coaching before we move forward. In the 35 years that you were coaching at the high school level, you just mentioned how, t- how times have definitely changed yes. in terms of like parent involvement and like sort yeah. of what you could do as a coach. What were some of the biggest ways that things changed for you from a coaching perspective over the course of the three and a half decades? Well, one big thing is parent involvement, which I'm going to say I love it. I ha- have loved my parent population. Um, we have about 100 kids in cross, 150 in track, whatever. And my parents are off the charts. They're so valuable. If you give someone a job, then they feel like they're a part of something rather than, I don't ask for any coach, Jake and I don't ask for any coaching advice. In fact, probably smart not to offer any either. Um, and no one does. But if you give them a task or a job, it's more of a family. The family opens up a little bit and then parents don't feel like they're trying to get in and not really comfortable. They're there. Um, 
So that's where parents have changed. The internet has changed the sport a little bit, where the um, information that you can gather, right or wrong, is out there. Um, So that's from the perspective of the athlete. And Jake and I had a policy of no internet during the season. And I know, I trust my kids. I don't think, you know, parent uh, interesting uh, uh, philosophy on high schoolers. I know my kids are doing what they're saying they're doing. And if they're not, it doesn't matter. So in other words... My blanket response is, I trust everyone, and then whatever, because the information is out there. But we say no internet. Um, it's interesting that you say that, because I remember I was in high school in the late 1990s, and okay. Diestat was the big oh, deal. We heavens. didn't we didn't yeah. have mobile phones, there was right. no Facebook, Instagram, like right. any of that sort of stuff. But I remember like Diestat, and there'd be rankings there, and like... I didn't have a great program that I was a part of, but I was really into it. And yeah. I r- wanted to see how I stacked up against other kids in the state and, yeah. and in other states. And it's like, I remember that messing with my head at the time. And it was just me who, who was doing it. And then I think back now, I'm like, man, like that was pretty early days in terms of like what mm-hmm. the modern internet was and with social media now. Mm-hmm. And all, I mean, just all the stuff that, that kids are exposed to. Like, I can't imagine trying to manage all of that. Well, the way you manage it, in my opinion, mm-hmm. I'm very direct. And if I give an explanation, I better have some backing. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say I, Jake and I. So Liam's a perfect example. His senior year, you know, the rankings were coming. I'm like, Liam, it's, it's, it, over the summer, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Now, okay, boop, we're done. No I'm just going to interrupt. This is Liam Anderson who oh. won the NXN National Cross Country title in 18, I believe it was, 2018. Last year? Two years ago. Oh my now. gosh, that's yeah. right. I didn't go to Oh my heavens. Um, yes, he's a freshman now at in college. Um, anyway, so I'm like, hey, Liam, we're done. And he'd shut it down. And I remember being at NXN and a reporter was asking him a question. And I'm very careful of when reporters talk to my kids. I'm very aware of everything going on. Yeah. You cannot talk to one of my kids when they're going to race anytime before that day, yeah. like come up after. And they all knew that. They're all so wonderful. But, but you know what? You have to put... Uh, you have to protect your children. That's what you have to do. Anyway, so I remember him talking to him and saying, oh, well, you know, with regarding the rankings, blah, blah. And Liam had no idea. And I was standing back and I just kind of looked at the report and I went like this. And, and then he changed the topic. Liam wasn't even ranked close to, but we knew he was going to win because we knew the work he was doing. But I also didn't need anyone getting in his head, yeah. letting him know that someone else could potentially be him. Yeah. It doesn't work. You, you can't... You're fighting too much when you deal with that. I, I think that's that's so important, especially at an age when you are really vulnerable and malleable as yes. a high school kid. Because I see it with adults now. That's I what mean, I was going to say. Know, I, I see it with adults that I coach. I mean, we've got, as of this conversation, Olympic trials is coming up in two and a half weeks. Yeah. And I'll have some of my, I mean, I don't say to my adult athletes, you can't be on Instagram. It's just not going to work. Right. But some of them will say to me, oh, I've seen oh. so-and-so did this on Strava and so-and-so did that on Strava. Am, am I really, I'm like, don't worry about what they're doing. Like, let's focus on- right. On what you're doing, because you can't control right. what they're doing, and if right. you, but it messes with it messes with their head, and I think that's danger of being a modern day coach, whether you're working right. with high school kids or adults, and I even hear professional athletes talk about that's it. That's funny because I do. Sorry, I do say with mm-hmm. thoroughbred, so they want we journal everything, and I my um, request is that they write it out mm-hmm. in a journal, and so I'm like, oh, I have a straw. I'm like, no, no. And even uh, I have an athlete in college who wanted to send me his work and he was going to send me, I said, no, I'd like it written out. 
And so now every Sunday, he it's now written out again, I like think, in high school. I think that's such an important and exercise. Yeah. I I got in this habit sometime after college where I stopped writing in a journal. Mm-hmm. All through college, I had a, a handwritten journal. And this was just for myself. And I used various like online ways yeah, of, of tracking my training. Tools. I made Excel Absolutely. sheets. I used, I think, this website called Athletic Corps for a while, then mm-hmm. running ahead and Strava mm-hmm. in recent years. And I'll mm-hmm. still put my stuff on Strava because it's easy to like just upload the data and, and analyze it. And I think there is definitely value in that. But about a year and a half ago, I went back to just writing for myself. No one sees it in a journal, and it 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 does something for you, like mentally, to be able to like sit there and and actually think about and internalize that workout and that run and how you felt and what you took away from it, and put it down, and then be able right. to like go back and revisit it. Um, it does something for you that that I think helps keep you grounded, centered, and focused. Well, and also someone. So if you put in Strava. There's no, every tool is great. Let me say that. And there's benefits to it. Of course. But for example, you break a metatarsal, say. Well, if you're not writing your workouts in Strava, where's the information? Mm -hmm. So then you go back five years later when you have another situation and there's no documentation except that there's this big, vast black hole. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a fan of writing things down. Last bit on coaching. I'd love to talk about some of the headlines that have been in the news for the past few months. We've seen the whole Mary Kane, Alberto Salazar thing. Mm-hmm. Most recently, I don't know if you caught the gentleman from Canada, Dave Scott yep, Thomas, of course. who lost his job at yes. Guelph and, and yes. what he um, was engaged with with Megan sure, Brown. And there's a lot all. of discussion now mm-hmm. about coaching and ethics mm-hmm. and more females in coaching. I'd love to get mm-hmm. your perspective on that whole situation and what you see as the major problem in those types of cases? Okay. Well, so more females in coaching is that I believe a different conversation than bad apples in coaching. I agree. Thank you. I don't think more females, I think more females everywhere, anywhere, fabulous. Yes. But I don't think- That's the solution. Correct. And I've heard and I see people posting things. Here's the solution, checks and balances. I don't think Mm -hmm. having a team where there's a male coach and a female coach, here's the deal, a great male coach. Jake Schmidt is a great, a phenomenal coach. So does he need a female next to him? No. Does a woman who's a great coach, I can coach men. I don't think it's a sex thing. I don't think so either. And I was coached by a female in college who, to this day, best coach that I've there ever worked with and had biggest impact on my life. And I've worked with a lot of different coaches over the years, most right. of them male. Right. Isn't it interesting? I think what needs to happen is, of course, the, the conversation uh, and women feeling comfortable coming out and saying things that happen and realizing that when, when the first stuff started coming out several years ago, there was a couple of things that, tri- that happened to me when I was younger that I didn't even think was worthy of of... It happened, I moved on. So what'll happen with this next generation of kids is they'll be more verbal about it. And I think women, little boys and little girls need to be taught their power and need to be taught, and I definitely taught my own children this and my high school girls and my high school boys to when they're doing something, if something isn't comfortable, it doesn't feel comfortable, it isn't. And you also don't need to make the person who's coming at you feel comfortable. Much like if you're having an uncomfortable conversation and you choose to pause and not talk, that's the best strategy in the world. Mm -hmm. The other person has to deal with it. You don't need to deal with it. So I don't have the answer except 
empower the children coming up. I appreciate that perspective. From a coaching education standpoint, do you think more needs to be done to educate coaches about their responsibilities, about the influence that they have on athletes, not just in high school, um, but kind of throughout the entire process? Because nowadays, like, I don't know how it really works at the high school level. I know the college level, especially as you get in like division one, two, it gets a little more vetted. But beyond that, like, with age group athletes, anyone can be a coach. You set up a website, you, set, you, you, you have an Excel sheet, you can send someone training and say like, I'm, you know, I'm a coach. And I think there are a lot of people who do that because they're like, oh, it's, I'd rather do that than sit in an office. It's easy money. I've run for 15 years, like whatever, whatever the reasons and don't understand like what it actually means to coach someone. It's not just sending workouts, realizing, you know, the influence that they have on someone's life and how impactful their words can be, how important, how impactful their actions can be. And it's not just about like, oh, did I get the workout mix right? Um, that is phenomenal. Coaching, I would argue, is the least about the workouts. In fact, if you're a coach, you should have phenomenal workouts. You should have a progression that takes a, a child, an adult, anyone in four years of course they're going to get better. You just have to write it out properly. It's written in every book. You can pick up any book. Anyone can be a give workout person. Mm -hmm. What isn't easy, unless it is, is knowing how to connect with a person yeah. to get the most out of them so that they feel good about themselves. So if you're someone who is timid and shy, I'm not going to put you in the front of the workout. I'm not going to put you up on a platform, rather I'm going to let you sit in the back. And I'm not going to, I'm also not a fan of the, you have to be very careful about how you connect with people. We as coaches have power for sure. The people we are coaching can be vulnerable. So you have to make sure you're not taking advantage of that mm -hmm. or, or crossing the line. That's your job. It's not the athlete's job. So wherever, as close as the athlete comes to you, you have to know where it needs to stop, mm -hmm. where the line is. And a mature coach knows knows how to do that. Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it comes, I say this to people all the time, like the easiest part of my job is writing the workouts every week. And people are like, really? Like that? I'm uh, like, yeah, I don't, I don't stress right, out about that. in your that. sleep. Um, <laughs> but it's like the hard part is like, you know, when you have an injured athlete and yes. they're crushed that they can't run, it's like helping them through that because right. there are a lot of quote unquote coaches and putting it in air coach, uh, air quotes. It's like, oh, the, the athletes hurt. Well, I just, I won't talk to them till, till right. they're healthy again. You realize like that has an impact. Um, and right. it's like, it's when other factors outside of the workout might be affecting the athletes running. And it's like understanding right. that. And like right. you said, knowing where the line is and all of that. But it's like, that's the challenging part right. is like understanding the person and connecting. And like who they are. Getting that connection with someone, right. especially in a, I mean, when you're in a high school situation, you're seeing the kids every day. And, and I think right. it's a little bit easier when you're meeting frequently. But a lot of these quote unquote coaches today, when most of your athletes are remote, most of mine are, yeah. it's like, Connecting with someone in that yeah. type of situation isn't exactly easy to do. Right. You know, it's funny because when, um, when we started Thoroughbred, we could get some emails from other places. And I was like, you know, Jake, I, I don't know if that's my gig. I don't know. And he agreed. And I mean, I have uh, one-on-ones that they come, they sit down, and it turns into a session of, I have everything planned where I think they're going to go, but I let them open up. Yeah. And we go into a session... Uh, it's mind blowing what's being said and it's and it's going to and they just leave so relieved. So like 
relaxed, and then they can, and then we can translate that to running. But often one-on-ones, we don't even talk, not a word about running. And I'm prepared with all the, you know, no, all right, well, we're not going there. Yeah. So Let's change directions a yeah. bit and go back to your origins as a runner. You mentioned earlier in this conversation how you swam in high school mm-hmm. and somewhere in that process, I think, was it junior year or so? Junior year, yeah. That you started running. What was it about running that you initially loved? Well, when I was little, um, my dad used to go running in Colorado. It was when I was in, uh, we moved here when I was 12. So like when I was 10 or 11, mm-hmm. I would just go running and I would basically chase him. And he would be in Jack Purcell's and nobody ran. It was it was a very odd thing, but I loved it so much. And I remember actually feeling the taste of blood in my throat. I can I can conjure I can bring it back. Is this because you're at altitude? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it was because I was running my brains out. Yeah, sure. And my dad would just go for a run. He would go run two or three miles and I would run just chase him. And I knew I knew then I just I loved the sport. Then I we got to California and I swam because swimming was our background. I grew up swimming Mm -hmm. and cross country is a little, um, not the norm. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't really, you just run over hills. I didn't really understand it. Um, So, but then the cross country coach, who Jake's came to me and said, Hey, listen, just come out for cross country. And that's all it took. And I did. And I off the charts loved it. Do you remember that first cross country practice? I remember. Yes, I do. I told my parents, we lived in Colorado. We moved to Kenfield. And I remember telling my parents, there's a place sort of like the Rockies. <laughs> no joke. Because we ran, we ran Shaver Yolanda. That was the first run I have ever done in my life. Yeah. Parked it at the tennis courts. Okay. Shaver Yolanda. First time running. And I ran as hard as I could, obviously. And I felt like I just ran in the Rockies. And I was super happy living in California. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> because for everyone who's listening to this who has not been to our, our backyard... I mean, that is that is like anything but the Rockies. It's like smooth fire road, very gradual grade. I, as, I'm like thinking back, I'm like, yeah, you know, I ran that just a couple weekends ago. I don't think there's any exposed rock nope. there. Certainly no snow uh, or altitude to be found. So that's funny that that was your perspective yeah, at the time. Yeah, 100%. And I thought it forever. Like, And I remember saying to Tony, yeah, I was, when I was in college, we need to go out to Phoenix Lake, the altitude. <laughs> yeah, I was the, yeah, that was a Berkeley student there. Yeah. <laughs> when did you first start to taste some competitive success in running? Um, actually, I was in eighth grade and I ran a mile and I ran it in 530 something. And it was, and there were a bunch of boys in the race and there was a lot of hoopla around it. And I beat a lot of boys, and I was like, okay, I'm good at this. And Good did, enough. And did you know at that point that it was you wanted to kind of like keep racing? Did you know you could race I'm other people? I'm very competitive. Yeah, um, no way. I'm, <laughs> okay, so not only in when I always say I'm very competitive, and I know as a female you're supposed to not be competitive, but that's ridiculous. I'm competitive when there's a gun and a starter and then a finish line. And a bib on your singlet. Right. Um so I grew up swimming, and I was very competitive in swimming. Very, I, I love racing. I love racing any, like I was saying, I drew those things for my sister. Well, mm-hmm. I also did them and wanted to do them faster, and my brothers, and I, you know, we raced around the block. I like racing. I like competing. Um, so, yes, I loved, and I remember my first cross-country race was at Deer Park School, and there was this girl that was supposed to be really good, and I was felt like I was going to get sick because... 
I, there's no question, I forget her name, but there was no question I wanted to beat her because I didn't even know what really good meant. I just knew you if there's a race lose. situation, not that I didn't want to lose, but if there's a race situation and the first place a person wins, that's what place you're supposed to get. Not, there was no logic to it. Mm-hmm. No one taught me anything. There was no psychology involved. There was no progression. There was just you go out and run as hard as you can for as long as you can, which actually in cross country kind of works. It's the person who dies the least. So it was, you know, wasn't too far off. It was a little off, but. Where does your competitive streak come from? Um, I don't know. I don't know. My parents, I guess a little bit. I was, uh, I have two brothers and we were never taught that we were, I was never taught that they were boys and I was girls. You know what I mean? You were just I, equal. We were, yeah, we were, we were just. And I, um, like, even like bike ride, everything, I wanted to win everything. Like, nothing was just a normal, if we were playing a game, I wanted to win because I always thought that that was, even getting grades. I didn't want to get good grades because I wanted to be smart. I didn't care about being smart. I wanted to get good grades because A's are the best thing that you could get. I wanted the chords. I wanted those. Like graduation, and I'm still, I go to my parents' house and I laugh because I'm like, I'm the only one who got both the courts. Not because I'm smart, but because I knew what it took to just get those silly courts. So I was going to ask, has competitiveness spilled over into other areas of your Probably. life? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Has it ever yeah. gotten you into trouble? Um, I'd like to say no. I think no. Um, if it has, I I can't think of an op. No, I'm going to say no. I don't think there's any situation where I compete where I'm not supposed to compete. Um, I'm very careful about competing when there's a start line and a finish line and a gun. Um, I don't compete in areas where competition really shouldn't be happening because I'm not interested in competing in those arenas. Um, I compete where I'm supposed to compete. Well, I think I think that's some great perspective because speaking for myself, like competitiveness has gotten me into trouble because as a younger person, I had the mindset of I've got to win at everything. So especially when I got to college, coming from a not great high school program where I didn't really have anyone that I could train with, I'm like, I'm going to win every workout. And then what I realized is like, my teammates actually hate my guts because I'm just trying to beat (laughs) them every day. So I learned to shut that off. And I had a great coach who helped dial that back for me. And it was like, Mario, the point of the workout is not to win it. You're not here to prove anything to me. Like You are here to improve. And that's really stuck with me because it's something that I have to tell a lot of my athletes who don't think they're being competitive. They're just like, oh, I'm, I'm just trying to to go as hard as I can. It's like, no, 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 right. don't, don't try to beat who you were last week. Don't try to, you know, beat this other person whose workout you've seen on Strava. Like you're here to improve. You're not here to prove anything to me or yourself. That's actually excellent. And I think that's really, it's really important to know what your objectives. I'm huge with objectives and what is your objective, whether it's for a particular race, whether it's for a practice, whether it's for your day. I set my days up. I set everything up with objectives. And in practice, my objective is to do, if it's tempo pace, it's tempo pace. So by definition, there's no competition. And also in practice, we have very little recovery, which a lot of my high schoolers have learned and, and my adult runners now, um, that it's pretty unique. So we'll take a minute in between mile repeats or 2000s, whatever. 
and they'll want a little more than a minute. But if you're running tempo pace, you don't need more than a minute. It helps you keep the effort in check. There you go. Yeah. So you don't even have to say, you're just saying, okay, well, we're doing five by a mile minute recovery you'll be running tempo pace. I think having objectives is so important, especially yeah. as a coach, but even as an athlete, if you're if you're self-coach, understanding what it is that you're trying to accomplish on yes. a particular day. Because, I mean, I have people who come to me for coaching and clearly they want to get better and they're like, I'm willing to work hard. And it's like, I know that you're willing to work right. hard. I don't need you to kill yourself every day. Right. And honestly, in most of your workouts, I don't need you to kill yourself because you're you may get, you may get injured, you may be so tired that you don't recover right. well the next day. So it's like letting them know, it's like, hey, I have you going out for an hour easy run. You don't need to be running like sub seven minute pace. Right. I mean, unless you're like a you know two hour marathoner and that is right. like a, a jog for you. It's like just go out and run. Like take right. it easy. You don't like. People, oh, I was so beat up yesterday. I only ran like eight forty five. I'm like it was an e- was it easy? Well, well, yeah. Well, that was the point. Correct. You know, regardless of what the number says, Correct. in some days maybe that is going to be like seven thirties for someone. But I think it's just important to know that because then on the hard days you're like okay. It's all business. This is a hard day. I've got to be here. Yeah. I've got to be here to work. But right. you know, it's just as important to keep that perspective and that objective in mind on on the right. easier days. And it's like you can't go hard all the time. No, you can't. And if you do, we write down. We have, um, and in fact, we just did this with our team. We have them write um, short term, long term objectives down on a note card, and they write it out for themselves. And then they also give us one, and so that's very tangible. There are no accidents in getting fit. There are no accidents if you're on the track. Of course, you're not going to compete because you have an objective and it's clean. And whether we're on the track and and we have a group of 16 people and I see someone running a pace, I look at my watch. I'm the person with the watch. I can just say, oh, you need to dial that back. And they'll know. They'll say two seconds. And I say, yes, you need to dial it back two seconds. Two seconds isn't a lot, but the message is huge. The message is we don't need you going harder than you should be going. Competition is appropriate where it's appropriate. It's detrimental where it's detrimental. So to answer your question, no, I don't think I'm too competitive because I know we're not to be competitive. I can appreciate that. I love this idea of objectives too because I do goal setting with my athletes. Every coach does goal setting with their athletes. I, I don't like that term goal because yeah because it it sounds like kind of very like final uh and concrete Mm -hmm. i like this idea of objectives because an objective can be long term like you just described my objective is to eventually break four hours in the marathon Mm -hmm. but you know i call them process goals i kind of like daily objectives it's like what are the things that you can do every Mm -hmm. day that's going to help you get to that long term i have a box several boxes of note cards <laughs> of athletes, including all of Jake's from all through his uh, growing and Caitlin's and Megan's and every athlete I've had. And I have all their short term. Every single year, we start the beginning of the season and with our athletes now, beginning of the season, then we do a check-in, do it again. I learned this actually at Cal. I took a class from a sister. Her name was Sister McKenna. Okay. And everyone thought it was a joke class. I took it. Um, with one of my teammates, Louise Romo, 159, 800-meter girl, sidebar, and she was in my wedding. Um, we took it because we, we liked the woman. She was a powerful woman. I learned more from that one-unit class in life skills than I've learned in any opportunity in my life. She had us sit down and write out our objectives on note cards. I wrote out a five-year, a 10-year a 15-year and a 20-year, all of my objectives have come to fruition, which is incredible. 
I say to my athletes, if you write it down, if you write it down, the odds of it coming true are significantly higher. I'm not giving lip service. That's my reality. I write things down. I put it, I have note cards all over the place. Um, it works. Well, it's important to write things down. As we were talking earlier yeah. in this conversation about just that daily training, like, sure, use Strava, use Garmin right. Connect, plug your watch in and right. download the data, analyze it to whatever degree. Right. But when you write things down, how you felt, what you want to do, right. what went wrong, you can revisit that. And I think it actually like implants itself like in your mind a little better, a lot better than it does if you were to put it on a screen or if it's just floating around there and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is this is kind of what I want to do, but I'm not going to write it down. I love that you're saying that. I love that you're saying that. So I don't know if you know this, but we have Woodway treadmills. We, Jake and I made a decision when we started our business to put curtains over all the treadmills. I remember time. that when I took a class there. Right? Yeah. And it's our philosophy that we know everyone's, we're in the Bay Area, we know you have all the gas, we know you have it all. We want you to use your biggest muscle, your brain. Right. Yeah. Use your brain. And know, like I know if I, oh my heavens, I forgot my Garmin. Oh dear. I know I can run my tempo pace. I just tap into it. Yeah. So to your point, use writing, use your brain, use things other than in, not other than, excuse me, in addition to. Well, to go off on a little tangent, I mean, we live in this society of quantification. Correct. Like the, the quantified stuff. You can quantify everything these days. You wear, you know, you wear right. a band to bed and it tells oh you like God. how your sleep was, what right. your heart rate was, are you recovered from, you know, the day before. And it's, I, I mean, I say this to my athletes all the time because everyone has, most people have availability to tech and like sure. the watches are pretty incredible in terms of what they can measure now but right. it turns into a robot and I say that to my athletes all the time like you are not a programmable robot and my athletes that I actually meet at the track and can see on a weekly basis a lot of times I take my hat off and I'll have them put their watches correct on. and they're like oh, 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 how, how am I gonna know? I, I'm like I use the old Bruce Lee line I want you to feel kung fu but it's right <laughs> yeah but you need to you need to learn like what an effort level feels like and not become reliant on your watch because I've had more athletes Athletes and I can count have set personal bests in situations where they forgot their watch, it died on them during a race, and they've just, you know, they actually break through barriers because right. they're like, oh, that actually isn't my limit. I can go harder than the numbers told me that right. I could. Um, I mean, it can go the other way too, but, you know, I think that's, it's limiting. It's completely 100% limiting. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So, you described earlier how you and your husband, Tom, met in high school. You ran collegiately at Cal. You graduate. You get into coaching. You're still running. You have kids right away. Uh, all your kids ran. Jake has run really well. He's qualified for the Olympic trials, ran at high level in college. Your two girls also ran. I mean, Megan plays volleyball now, but they all ran for you uh, mm -hmm. in, in high school, and they grew up in a household of two parents who are runners and have continued to make running a big part of their lives. How have you raised them to not shove it down their throats um, and have it occupy a healthy space for them and even put them in a situation where they could pursue it if they want, but if they had other interests, like, I mean, Megan plays volleyball and she coaches it at Cal now, they could go that route instead. Um, interesting. So we never, at no point did we, uh, our running did we think at, that our running was going to become their whatever? Mm -hmm. When Jake was a little boy, I use him first as an example because he's the oldest, um, he wanted to run. 
he would go to soccer practice when he was tiny, little peewee soccer, and all he wanted to do was run at the practice. The ball was absolutely <laughs> irrelevant. So we knew he wanted to run. I knew he wanted to run. As a coach, I knew he wanted to run. Um, we let him run a race when he was, I think it was three, very, very young, because he asked to run Pacific Sun. Tom and I were running it. And I actually think I have a picture of me pregnant with Megan, and he's running next to me. So it was more of a, we're doing this together. Um, but then we put him, when he was getting to an age of sport, we put him in the soccer, of course, soccer, baseball, basketball, all this stuff. But when it was when he was becoming competitive, we put him in the pool. And I knew that if he got his competitive energy out in a pool, mm -hmm. it's harmless. He's going to swim a hundred. He's going to swim a 50. He's not going to hurt himself. He's also going to be on a team with 150 normal kids who are doing normal kid things. Running um, is, can be a very isolating sport. And also, if you have great success as a young runner, it's very hard when you come to the high school level to build upon that success. To continue your growth. Mm -hmm. And he did run a couple of races where he had great success. So much success that we were like, we didn't let him know. We just wrote it off and just, and we were like, holy moly, this kid's going to be good. But we never said anything. We never, we got him his ice cream cone. We went home. The end. No pressure. Not even no pressure. I love that. Less than pressure. Like, get in the car. You're not. In fact, he ran the middle school meet. He broke the county record, 329 as a middle schooler, 1,200. And he ran in shoes that I bought him from Marshalls. I knew what I was doing. It turns out they were uh, light blue. They were like girls' shoes. But I was very cognizant of the fact that I wanted him to know that I bought his shoes at Marshalls, that he wasn't, he hadn't earned anything. Here's what you're going to run in. And he knew that. And he loved running. He won the little county, middle school, whatever. But it didn't matter. Who cares? Not who cares, but who cares? Move on. Be a good brother. Take care of your sisters. You know? But I think that's an important perspective because yeah. I get emails from parents all the time who tell me, hey, my nine-year-old son just won the AAU National Cross Country yeah. Championship yeah. or yeah. you know, they, they're undefeated in their track season. They're like 11 years old. What would you recommend for a training program? <laughs> and I say, tell them to join the soccer team. Right. Have them go play basketball or baseball for all those reasons that you just described yeah. and the fact that running is just the hardest sport on right. someone's body, especially a developing kid's body. And I've seen more often than not the kids who are super competitive as a kid, whether it's their, their own ambition or their parents forcing it upon them and they start training hard at an early age, they don't last very long. They get injured in high school. They get burned out. It no longer becomes fun. Back to the beginning of this conversation, that foundation. Right of fun um, to further the the lifestyle and then and then they they walk away from it for for right. some reason and it's like you know hey if your kid's going to be great like just let them come along at their own at their right. own pace like expose them to a lot of different things david uh, epstein has a great book out now called range and it's like it's, it's the best book well it's like a parenting book it's in so disguise good, right um, but one of the big takeaways from that is like expose your kids do to everything yeah do everything and it's like you yep. know sample all of these different things develop skills and like yeah go in the direction that like well really here's the deal develop you. skills you're so right develop skills so all three of my kids were swimmers yeah. Okay. They're not professional swimmers, but now guess what? Megan, my middle child is pregnant with triplets and she's in the pool every day. I go with her. I have little workouts written out for her. We go to the pool. She's swimming a thousand meters, 10 by a hundred meters. 
and right before she's about to deliver three babies because she has a swimming background. Yeah. So swimming, if I could, if there's a takeaway, have your kids swim. Swimming. Well, and how many, Not again, not that it's about how good of a runner you can be, but how many outstanding runners do we know that come from a swimming background? I mean, Alan Webb, right. fastest U.S. miler right. in history, was a great swimmer. Um, you know, Gwen Jorgensen was an yes. amazing triathlete. She says she's not a great swimmer, though. Which is great. <laughs> which, which is which is total BS. Know, right. But it's like know, she, she swam growing up, and it was like really good for her. Greg Billington, who I had on yes. this podcast, who is another Olympic triathlete, now Olympic trials qualifier in the marathon. Big foundation of swimming as, as he grew well, the, up, and it's like. It doesn't beat up your body, as you said. It's it's more. It's much more social um, because it's, the aerobic you know, there's capacity clubs. that's built. Yeah, and it makes you as a parent. A we looked really laid sport. back and cool and like oh whatever. Yeah. But we knew. We also knew that every day he was gaining. So was Megan and Caitlin. Yeah. A discipline of showing up every day, taking care of your body, right. your mind, and your spirit. And that's what's important. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. What yes. was it like for you? coaching your kids when they got to high school? Phenomenal. Every child of mine was a different experience and it was off the charts. Um, I have poignant memories from each. One, um, with Jake, this is a really special memory from his freshman year in high school. Um, And we were just talking about it recently because we were talking about another, something other, um, another conversation. But he um, was a good runner, obviously. And it was the day before Meet of Champions, and we were sitting out on this deck, sitting out on the deck. And he said to me, hey, mom, can I talk to you? Uh, I'm like, yeah, sure. He said, I, I'm tired. I don't, I don't want to run state meet. So the next day was the qualifier for state meet. And factually, I knew he could qualify as a freshman. But he was done. He was tired. He had run a cross-country season. He ran a track season. And I remember saying to him, and I'll remember it forever because it was a, it was a, a, a changing moment, mm-hmm. uh, a memorable moment for me. I remember saying to him, okay, sweetheart, um, as your coach, if you're done, I'm okay with that. You're okay with that. I'm listening to you. If you're done, don't get fourth place. Top four go to state. And that was it. And what I learned is from that moment, he, for the rest of our life, trusts me. And I trust him. I have so much respect for him, and it's reciprocated. And I think that moment was pretty pivotal. Another moment with Caitlin. I was accustomed to my kids. Megan went out for volleyball, and she was... In sixth grade, she was recruited by the high school coach. Mm-hmm. She's good. She played on the AVP. She's good. Um, so I was accustomed to my kids just being good. Caitlin's freshman year, and this is incredible too, she joined my cross-country team, and my team was coming up Tennessee Valley home course. Mm-hmm. All the kids are running up. She was a little freshman. I had Jake, who was on my cross-country team, who was the best in the state, this little girl was the last place person. My child was the last place person in a dual meet, maybe a tri-meet. She came running up Tennessee Valley last 800 meters with cheek-to-cheek smile. I 
almost started bawling. I didn't cry at state when Jake won state. I didn't, I didn't cry. I don't cry at a lot. I almost started bawling. I was so happy. She came in, her cheeks were red. She was this just ball of happiness. And she said, mommy, how can I make the top seven? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, I love you so much. So the difference in coaching these two kids, they're so different, but they both got everything that they were supposed to get from the sport. And I, of course, have a similar story about Megan. Um, Coaching my kids was so easy, is so easy. Was it any different than coaching the kids who weren't yours? No. Treated them the same? Oh, yeah. Oh, in fact, I practiced with Jake because he was, you know, um, we never, I never really gave him any attention in practice. And then we would talk about it on the way home. And we never had any rules. You know, coaches have rules like, oh, we'll never talk about it at home. We talked about it when he wanted to and we didn't when we didn't want to. It wasn't, a, it wasn't really a big deal. You've still been coaching Jake as an adult. He went Correct. off to college and yep. he was at the University of Greg Metcalf. Washington mm-hmm. and, and was in a great program there. But I mean, he qualif- I mean, he ran very well at a national championship yep. in the marathon. He's done some good things post-collegiately. He's qualified yeah. for the Olympic trials. Has it been different coaching him as an adult uh, versus when he was in high school? Um, not really. What's interesting is, uh, you know, if, if he wants to make a tweak in a workout, I know it should be made. If he wants to um, do a little more or if he needs a day of break, I know it's an appropriate thing. I will say I'm available for him. If he wants to switch a day, I'll be there. And he knows that. So he's he's careful to not... Um, uh, overuse that because you know he doesn't he wants to make sure he's in check with that um but no no it hasn't changed at all and i still it doesn't matter how fast he runs it doesn't matter it doesn't matter he loves racing he loves the process of racing and i know you know so cliche the journey blah blah but it actually is yeah I can talk about workouts. He and I get up in the morning and we're there on the track by ourselves and it's just a kid running and a person timing and coaching and telling him to stand up and drop his shoulders and relax his jaw um, and loving every minute of it. And then a coffee after. Come on, what's better? I think there's something so beautiful about that. There's nothing better. There's actually nothing better. Love to pivot one more time yeah. and talk about entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. business. You have this entrepreneurial streak to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you and Jake started Thoroughbred Treadmill Studios in 2016. Mm-hmm. Well before that, you started your own preschool, mm-hmm. which I didn't know until just a few days ago <laughs> when I was doing a little research for this conversation. How did that come to be? Um, so when I was pregnant with Jake, so I got a degree in psychology, mm-hmm. and then I went in got my teaching credential, had anticipated going and becoming a teacher and coaching. That was my, kind of what was mulling around in my head. So I went to teach a little bit. Um, and this is all, when I say a little bit, months, because I'm pregnant, you know, stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Life is moving at kind of quick pace, which I actually really like. And I do like a little bit of controlled chaos. I kind of thrive on that. So anyway, so life is moving. I go to look at schools for Jake and... While they're phenomenal, I would, of course, I had something different in mind. Mm -hmm. So I did a little research and I started a tiny preschool. I called it a preschool. I did it professionally. I didn't say it was in-home. It was a preschool. I have a teaching credential, a degree from Cal. Started it there. Then I had Megan, opened it, expanded it a tiny bit. And then we bought a house in 
Green Bray, and I redid the entire downstairs. So I'm still not, I'm still dappling because I might go back to teaching. Then I'm going to have Caitlin. And I'm like, okay, well, I have to, you know, I give my other two kids this experience. So then um, hired a teacher. Then I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm opening a school. So I went back, did a little education, figured out how to open a school, manage adults, uh, you know, have employees, blah, blah, blah. And I opened Marin Enrichment. Um, and it's, uh, we have, 240 families. So it's a full, and my staff has been with me almost everyone since inception. So what yeah. year was it when this all started? Um, I like 90, 89, 90. So it's been like going that. for 30 years Oh now. yeah, forever. My kids were my labor. I remember postcards, actually this table in Greenbrae, my three kids were at the table putting stamps on postcards for the school, the grand opening since we were moving our campus. Yes, our campus. Think big, start small. If I can say anything. <laughs> That's think a great big. takeaway. My first interview, when I was interviewing my first employee, my second employee, my director, I interviewed a director. I needed someone to direct the school so I could be the executive director to it not be in the classroom so I could do all the behind the scenes. Anyway, my first interview, I asked Kent Middle School, Linda Storick, if I could borrow her conference room because I didn't have a space yet. I didn't have a facility. I had nothing. I interviewed. I came. I bought a briefcase from Banana Republic. I bought a business outfit because I never owned a business outfit. I went in. I had Susan Sanders, who I met in one of my classes, an older woman. At the time, she was in her 40s, so she was super mature, had a vast knowledge. I sat her down, and I interviewed her, and I said, I don't have a facility, but I have a connection with you. I'd like you to start this venture with me. She's still with me. She left her career to start with me. What did you want to be different about your school? Play-based. Play-based. We're in Marin County where we're raising experts, Bay Area, where we're raising mm-hmm. experts. I didn't want to raise an expert. I wanted a play-based program where my kids, it was very selfish motivation. I wanted my kids, when they are working, to think they're playing. Because I knew when they're little, while they're playing, if they saw that as work, if it, there was a nice mix, when they grew up, they'd keep that with them. And they, and they did. They did. Dots are really starting to connect for me now that we've talked about how you approach coaching and how you approached setting up this school, because that's exactly how you coach as well. Um, It's play is the right word. Like it's, it's gotta be fun. Just like you described you and Jake being at the track and it's like, this is just a kid who's running around. I mean, he's working hard obviously, but it's like, this yeah, but is, that's fun. That's fun for him. Yeah, yeah. This is fun. It's not how he, you know, makes its living and it's something makes his living. And it's like, it's how the two of you, you know, spend time together and share. And it's yeah. like, that's probably why he's been as successful as he is, why you've been as successful as you are, because you have this play-based approach that through your school now, you're, you're starting kids on that very, very early on. Yeah, that's that's really the goal. It really is. And I don't mean it lightly, but your work, one's work should be play. My husband, um, he's a CFO of a company, but he loves it. I, it blows me away, but he loves those numbers. He gets so excited and that's his play. It has to be play. 
I think there are probably going to be a lot of people who are listening to this and it's like, you know, I do X, Y, and Z as a job and there's no way that I can make that play. But I think if you can find a way to flip it on its head, if it's something that you truly enjoy, not everyone's going to have jobs that they enjoy, but right. you have that, that play-based approach, you can actually be more productive. You can actually advance yourself a little bit further. You can take things to a level that it might not have gotten to otherwise when you're looking at it as a job or you're just chasing numbers or, as you said, like trying to be an expert in such and such. We don't thing. need experts. We've got them. We don't, we can outsource for an expert. You don't need to be an expert. And you also have to be comfortable. I go back to, you know, I didn't start the school where it is now. If you can visualize, I don't know that, you know, you have to check your ego and or have a big enough ego that you can have people coming and dropping their four children's children, whatever, in your home and you call it a school. Maybe be a little delusional, mm-hmm. right, to start. But what happens now is I think people look at the end, where they are, where they are, rather than the start. You need to start. Just start. When we opened Thoroughbred, oh my heavens, we were working around the clock. I was teaching classes, this is comical, where there's one person in the class. But I taught them like I was teaching 100 people. And they would come in and say, oh, you don't have... I'm like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. Headset on. Jake, too. Caitlin, too. We're teaching the class because that's what we're doing. We're starting. And you also have to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. It's not comfortable walking down to a classroom that's empty when you've invested so much of yourself. I think of Jake Moore. He gave up his career at... at uh, at Salesforce, kudos to him. But him walking down the stairs to an empty, potentially empty room. It's not comfortable. That's how it starts. Get comfortable in that uncomfortable. Well, I think that's just a great life takeaway. Certainly yeah. applies to running. I say that to my athletes all the time. I feel like a lot of coaches do. Like That's, that's the ticket to becoming a, a great racer is being comfortable in those uncomfortable Crave situations. Discomfort. You have to. Yes. Um, you know, you have to just like sit with it and embrace it and thrive on it rather yes. than try to push it away. It's like by pushing it away, you're never going to get anywhere. Correct. Fully, fully agree with you. Correct. What is your involvement in the school now? I'm continuing to be the executive director. <laughs> um, I, so Susan has wanted to retire for the longest time ever. Um, so, and thankfully, I thought Megan was going to be interested. Mm-hmm. I offered it to my entire staff, first of all. Anyone who wants to be the director, you got to go back at your units, blah, blah, blah. Caitlin, she's like the, um, the quiet storm. Caitlin, all through, worked in my school, but never really said anything. Then when she got to UCLA, she said, um, Mommy, I want to I wanna direct your school. And I was like, okay, not not listening, but just so much is going on. Sounds great, whatever. So I told. And she's Susan, so young at that point. Yeah, that like, whatever. It's not going to be possible for a while. Exactly. So I'm still putting it out to my staff that Susan wants to retire. So Caitlin's a senior. She double majored in psychology, or excuse me, majored in psychology, minored in in um, theater. And with n- knowing that she wanted to have something to bring to the table, and got all her units to be a director. She did that right after. Actually, I don't even remember her doing that. She just did it. She went out to Berkeley to do that. And um, shadowed Susan 
and she's the one I hired, and she's running the school. She's a director. Susan is still there two days a week. I think she just goes to hang out. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, my job is I talk with Caitlin every single day. She handles everything. The day-to-day. Everything. So if there's a parent who has a question, if the school, I go to board meetings, maybe. I'm, uh, I go to everything, but out of respect, just like with Susan. If there's a problem that Susan couldn't handle, she would call me and say, hey, I need some help. I'm there all the time, but I let her do her job. Very hands-off. I'm not going to tell a teacher mm -hmm. how to run their classroom. I'm not going to tell Susan how to direct. How disrespectful would that be? Much like Caitlin. And Caitlin's a very intelligent, for, for her, her young age, she's not young at all. She knows when to ask for help. She knows what she can handle. And she knows when a little help will be beneficial. And she's been doing it for three years now. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Let's fast forward to Thoroughbred. You Correct. and Jake opened your first studio in yes. 2016. And I remember when I... I saw that the studio was opening. I'm like, why the hell would you open a treadmill studio in California? Especially here no, in Marin at the base County. of the Dipsy Trail. Yeah, we've got the most world-class trails, like right in our backyard, great weather year-round. There's yeah. a rich history here. Like, I, I was like, there's just, there's just like, no one's going to be into this. And here you are, I mean, almost four years later, and you've got a second studio opening up a month from now. Yeah, so... Great on you, very logical, your thinking, very logical. Um, but we wanted to start in our home. We wanted to start in our home because community is everything. And we knew we were planning on expanding, but we wanted to expand our community from our community. Mm -hmm. um, what you don't get from just going outside and running is our love and knowledge of the sport. And I can't get that to you except that I'm with you. I mean, I can email you something, whatever. Sure. But what you get in the studio is a 45-minute class of direct coaching from people who love and know the sport. If you go outside and run 45 minutes, it's not the same of, as running interval pace, tempo pace, in proper unison. Sure coached by a coach among 20 other people, all varying abilities, getting the same thing. Additionally, when you get out of that class, you've done your speed, and an undertapped thing in this community is speed. I watch people running all the time. Nobody's running fast, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to get better, you have to run fast. And not everyone has the luxury of getting to a track. Not everyone has the knowledge to get to the track. And also, running the treadmill is awesome with music and people. It goes by like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, yeah. Been, I've been to the class, and I, I would agree with that. My preference is still to be outside, but I think it's that fast. That makes is, sense, But yeah. fast is fun. I mean, whether it's on a treadmill fast is fun. or whether it's on a track, it's right. like, I mean, even right now, I've got no races on my immediate agenda. I may not race this year, but I did a workout this morning just because plodding along for me, Ugh. maybe it's my background, it's right. just like it's boring to do that every right. day. Like, it's right. fun to just, like, push myself a yeah. little bit, and it's like, it's not working, it's not working toward anything at this point of of my, you know, trajectory as but an athlete. But it is, it I, is. But I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, that's what you guys have done a great job of creating is an environment where people who 
you know, might not run period, but certainly would not run fast. Right. Like, you know, you're kind of forcing them to because you're on a treadmill. Like, okay, we're going to up it like just a couple, like the incline a couple degrees of the speed, you know, a, a, a mile an hour or two like that and like get them out of their comfort zone and expose them to, you know, that joy that, you know, you've had for your entire life. Well, and think about this when you're doing something fast, say, and I don't know that people often think about this when they're running solo. Now, a, a track team is a different bird, okay? It's a different, but if you're outside solo running along, think about yourself being on a playground. And that's what I talk to people when we're in, on, in the studio. How do you get to the ball? You run fast and your kid, the kids are running with you and just run fast. Yeah. And we get to define fast ourselves. People often don't define themselves in fabulous, positive ways. Rather, they mm -hmm. define themselves, for example, as slow. Now, why would you say that? Why would one say that? Because that's what they think. But if you start to change the mind, and this is what we talk about while we're coaching, change your mindset right now. Change your mindset. Just say, I'm fast. There it is. Now you're fast. Who defines it? You. Right. Just run fast. That's it. So that's partly why I absolutely love the classes. I love it. I'm have, stunned how much I love it. You've been surprised by how much your original studio in Mill Valley has grown over the past three plus years? No, I, I'm not surprised. Um, I'm, I'm, we're definitely organic growers. <laughs> Jake would probably like to put a little more. <laughs> we'll probably put a little more into it in the city, Jake, respectfully. Um, I'm an organic grower. I never advertised my school. I never, um, so I'm not surprised. I am thrilled with the retention it's not easy getting someone in the door, but once they're in the door, we'll keep them. I have no problem. Everyone who started, they haven't left. How many of the folks who have come into the treadmill studio to take one of your classes have joined this thoroughbred racing team? And now they're coming to class maybe once or twice a week because that's how you got them in the door. That is their community. That's what they're a part of. It's part of their routine. But now they're, they're getting outside and they're getting on the track for the first time or they're signing up for a race that they never could have imagined that they'd even think about like three years ago when they got, when they got going with all of it. Well, we keep the team very small. Mm -hmm. we, we will expand it slightly, but we, we keep the team pretty small. Um, we have 16 people, so that's not really our um, the clients who come in. Okay. And we can tell, but we do have clients who've upped from, they were coming one day a week, now they're coming two days a week, and we have some who want to come every day, and we're like, no, 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 no. I'll say, please don't come every day. That's not appropriate. You've just started running. So naturally, my coaching, I will give my coaching to everybody. Mm -hmm. There's no discrimination in coaching. If I see somebody doing something, in fact, if I see someone, sometimes it's men, if I ask for tempo pace, I can read. I can. I know if I see you on a treadmill sure. running, I'll know whether you're running tempo pace or not. I'll hop off while I'm instructing, slow my hop Dial off, and I'll just <laughs> tap it down. And they're so grateful because yeah. they're like, oh, so we don't have to pretend we're running. <laughs> you know, that, that's not what I'm asking for. Um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> if you were if you were surprised at all by well, oh by retention, the, well by the by the success of it, but also how many of the folks that have come into the studio are now getting out of the studio and like expanding their oh I love it their running yeah. um, and their conception of themselves as a runner. Well, I'm not surprised, but I'm thrilled. I'd say that I'm thrilled with the our intent was to get our love and and uh, knowledge 
to more people, cast a wider net to something that we know is incredible for our lives. So I'm thrilled that it's actually happening. I'm thrilled that when I say to you, uh, you are a runner when you walk in the door, you are a runner. And I'm not giving lip service, I mean it. I'm thrilled that several weeks later, months later, they say, oh, I'm a runner. And their body changes, not because they're doing some cuckoo diet, they're just their body changes to where it's supposed to be. Well, their lifestyle right. changes back right. to the beginnings of this conversation. And I think that's right. really, I mean, yeah, you're helping them improve their fitness. Maybe they're training right. for a race, but you're also changing their lives very fundamentally that's and the how goal. they think about their day to day. That's the goal. Running has always been a tool with whoever. Running has always been a tool for me to give life lessons for sure. No question. I think that's a huge takeaway. Thank you. You're opening the second studio in the city, I think next month, if I'm not yes, mistaken. I'm so excited. Um, how will it be different than what you already have established in Mill Valley? And for those of you listening to this who have no idea what we're talking about, Mill Valley and Marin County is not San Francisco. It is not the city. We have a lot of open space. There are a lot of trails. There are small towns kind of like darted throughout Marin County. And then just across the bridge, you've got San Francisco. It is a major city. It's very densely populated. There's a different speed of life over there just to set the stage a little bit. Okay. So it's going to be the same. So here's what's great. An organic growth, a slow growth is the time for learning. So if you're patient and are willing to grow at a slow pace, when you're ready to make that move, you're ready to make that move. We won't be making any changes, except that we'll be hiring more coaches. Mm -hmm. And we know all the coaches. We know, and the language is the same. Beautiful thing about running, tempo pace is tempo pace, interval pace is interval interval pace. Um, We've hired a COO. That'll come out soon. Big announcement coming up. Um, So that's, that's it. No changes. We're ready to roll. We're ready to take this on. Well, and I think what's cool about Thoroughbred and a lot of of what you do, and this is transitioning a little bit, um, the Schmitz are a tight clan. Like (laughs) I feel like almost everything that any of you get involved in becomes a family affair. You and Jake started Thoroughbred together. You know, you coached. You know, you coached your kids through. I mean, you guys coached high school together. I mean, I see you guys around Marin here, and it's like. Rarely is a Schmidt ever alone. It's like you, you guys kind of like all, you know, pack up and, and support each other, you know, wholeheartedly and unconditionally. Yeah. Is that something that you and Tom tried to instill in your family right away? Because I'm really impressed by it and inspired Thank by you. it. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's incredible. When our children were little, I love my kids. I know that's obvious. And your kids love each other. I've, I've seen oh, yeah. them. Like they're, they're like best of friends with one another. Oh, 100%. When they were little, I actually laugh at this. Um, they, first of all, I, we didn't, Tom and I didn't go out. We were young. We didn't go out a lot, like on Friday nights or whatever. We would be invited to go out to dinners or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would say to Tom, I kind of want to hang out with this little plop of a baby. And then it turned out to be two plops of a babies and three. Um, and we would want to just be with our kids and we would want to go camping over the weekend and not go to some big event. We're, that's not who we are. We're not black tie people. Um, we, the kids, when they got into school, they would be invited to spend the night. And I, a couple times is a little touch and go because I didn't want them to spend the night elsewhere. 
I wanted to spend the night with them. Like genuinely, I wanted to get in the pool with them and go swimming. Um, so did Tom. So they were our friend. We chose them. When they were young, we chose them. And I do talk to my preschool parents about this. Choose your kids now. Then it just, the natural response is when they grow up, they're going to choose you. And I was, we recently had a baby shower for Megan and I was saying to Megan, wow, it's incredible how all of Jake's peer group, so all of his women friends from Salesforce Mm -hmm. and from all of his life, all of Caitlin's, all of Megan's, all of mine, we're all together because we're all friends. So whenever Jake comes over, he brings his group of people. When Caitlin comes, she brings all her people. We've gone to, we know these, they're all our people. So um, we're very fortunate. It spreads. It spreads. It spreads. And we're and I consider all of Megan's little girls, all her little volleyball girls. They're not; they're grown women now. But they were, our, you know, they're our kids. Well, you were saying to me earlier, I think before we got on the mic, how you and Tom, you had, well, you had this vision. You're like, we're gonna, have, I'm gonna have four kids, yeah. and you have three, yeah. And it's like you have that fourth kid, but it's like it's almost like a rotating spot, and it Correct. rotates like almost on a daily basis <laughs> because you've got, you know, your high school kids that you coached. You've got your kids' friends, you know, who come over and visit, like you just yeah. described. And, and it's like you really do cultivate that. And from the outside looking in, it, it's really impressive. Thank you. I'm I'm very fortunate. My kids, um, I can't imagine. Uh, they're just, they're wonderful. And my husband, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Very fortunate. Last bit. Yeah. We will land this plane. <laughs> what is exciting you right now about running, whether it's your own, your kids, the folks that you work with through Thoroughbred or the sport in general? That's a great question. Um, I find this fascinating. Everything about running excites me. I was, um, so on Tuesday, this is interesting. On Tuesday, we had a power outage. And so I drove down, shot Jake a text saying, excuse me, on Monday night, hey, Jake, I cannot go to track tomorrow morning because we have no electricity. So I can't wake up. I won't be able to wake up naturally that hour. So he shot an email to the team and everyone, our brand new team, were like, okay, well, we'll still have practice. What's the workout? What's the, tell us the reps, blah, blah. That is beyond thrilling to me. Um, what's also exciting is I'm running. Uh, I'm back running again, so I, I hurt my foot. I broke a metatarsal, so I'm back running. Um, Are you still thinking about an ultra? Because we talked at oh, the there's coffee no question. shop a August few weeks 4th. ago. That August you're, 4th. Okay. Done. It's, it's on happen. my schedule. Oh, oh yeah. It's written down. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was wondering if you pulled the trigger on that. That's great. Oh, August 4th skyline. Oh, for sure. 50K. Def, 50K, done. Love oh, it. yeah. When I said it, I went home, wrote it down. That shouldn't surprise me. <laughs> it's also now typed out. So for sure, I will be running that and I can't wait. It'll be a blast. Um, also, what's exciting for me is that more people are becoming involved in running for the love of the sport. I can go on and how exciting it is with what's his, what's his face, just ran a 60, whatever, the Olympic trials are coming up, all of that. I follow everything. I know everything, obviously. That's not exciting to me. What's exciting to me is the person who runs a race and runs a minute faster and is thrilled and has tears in their eyes because they ran a minute faster. That's exciting to me. Well, not to make this about me, but speaking for myself as a coach, um, and you have been almost a lifelong coach, like 
that's that's what it's about. Right. Um, and that's sort of you said you want to coach for the rest of your life, oh, yeah. and I feel the same way. And and that's what keeps me in it is yeah. seeing that in in someone, and even people that I don't work with, but you know, you know, loosely or, or closely, it's like, hey, they had this they had this big goal, and they you know they didn't know if they were going to be able to get it but they kept working at it they kept working yeah. at it and then they realize it uh and you see that moment where they get excited and the light bulb has gone off and there's there is no better feeling as not just a coach but as someone who appreciates the sport and what it can do for you right and there's no for some it's not the monetary you know the, it's not about money sometimes goals aren't about money. And we, again, we live in the Bay Area where everything is measured in how big is your house? How much money do you have? What kind of car do you drive? What mile pace do you run? No, 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 no. Did you enjoy that hour running out to Rodeo Beach? How was that? That's that's what excites me. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. This was one of my favorite ones. Thank Yay. you so much for walking me <laughs> into your home uh, and for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you. It was awesome. I really appreciate it. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. Also, a big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the show. If you're looking for a workhorse to run most of your miles in, look no further than the Fresh Foam X 1080 V12. This shoe has the perfect blend of cushioning and responsiveness. It's lightweight. It transitions smoothly. It has the most streamlined fit to accommodate a wide variety of foot types, and it holds up to heavy mileage week in and week out. The Fresh Foam X 1080 V12 is available in both men's and women's sizes on newbalance.com or at your local run specialty retail store. Before we wrap up, I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He's produced every episode of the podcast and is the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. Also, thank you to my right-hand man, Chris Douglas, for handling sponsorship sales and various other duties, and Jeffrey Stern for managing the AM Shakeout social media accounts. I don't have a big team here at the Morning Shakeout, but these three guys help keep things running smoothly. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. And in it, you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast.